Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Bet with Tote and support racing in the UK and Ireland. Welcome back to the show. I'm Emma Kennedy. It's great to have your company. It's also great to have the company of... The princess of play spots, the queen of the toast, the slayer of bookmakers, and the first lady of the podcast. It can only be Kate Tracy. Slayer of bookmakers is new. That <laughs> that comes quite loaded. <laughs> no, good to be back, and thank you for the for the ever over the top introduction. It's appreciated. Well, given given that William Hill Radio are now trending on TuneIn, and it's a bizarre. It's what could um, what could link. The final formal podcast trending on TuneIn for the last two years, and suddenly William Hill Radio trends. Hmm. What? What's the new th- nickname should be Tenuous Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> if that's going to be my link. <laughs> what? What? What links the two? Hmm. I wonder. I wonder. Uh, also, a man who is responsible for basically so much gravy, like. Seriously, so much gravy at Cheltenham. It's not even funny. Uh, but also responsible for the incredible Aintree Cheltenham Festival betting guide, courtesy of Weatherbees, which normally you would have to pay for or you would get as a, a bonus as included with the Cheltenham Festival betting guide, which is incredibly kind. In previous years, Weatherbees would ask you to pay for both. Uh, this year... Weatherbees have decided to give away. Yes, that's give away all of this man's hard work for free. And uh, it is hard work that he has done. He has put in the hours. He has put in the groundwork. And I think he's going to land us some big winners. No pressure. Uh, welcome back, Paul Ferguson. Good afternoon, Emmett. Hello, Kate. Hi, Paul. One of the Final Forum Podcast's most popular guests. Uh, you had a great child in them first of all, so well done on that. And secondly, where can we get the Grand National Festival Betting Guide 2021, Weatherby's The Original Betting Guide? Uh, well, if you go on to, if you're on Twitter, if you follow at Trends, there's a few links on there, or if you look back on my timeline, then we've posted a couple of times, and it does include actually an update um, that I wrote after Cheltenham. So there's a little bit more than what's actually in the Cheltenham Guide as well, so there's a couple of pages to read. Uh, and if you didn't get the Cheltenham Guide, say, as you said, the entry pages are there for free. Absolutely. Uh, I think if you go through the the Weatherbees shop as well, weatherbeesshop.co.uk um, is another way to download it. So there's extra info to what I have here on my iPad? Uh, yeah, it's just, I think it's three or four pages I wrote after the, the week after the festival um, with a few courses that caught the eye going forward with entry in mind. And also, again, highlighting courses who will be arriving fresh and it's obviously something that people have to factor in this week is whether they want to go with the horses that ran at Cheltenham or look for the fresh angle 
in terms of horses who were backing up from Cheltenham's entry and those who made the decision to skip Cheltenham with a view to entry, there'll have been various different views as to why. Can you just briefly explain to us the differences between the undulations of Cheltenham and, and entry? Uh, in terms of the configuration of the track, it's quite a significant difference. Entry is obviously a flat um, speed-based track, and especially this week, the last two Grand National Festivals. Obviously, we didn't have one last year, but 2018 and 2019, uh, the ground was soft, which is slightly unusual. Um, for ancient, we do kind of associate, associate decent ground with the Grand National meeting, and I think that's what we'll get this week. I've walked down the Mellon Road numerous times over the past um, week to 10 days, and the watering's been um, taking place. But I, th- I think, I don't know, I think obviously it'll be safe ground. I'm saying it's on the, on the good to soft side, but I think it'll be perfect ground, to be honest. So I think it will be um, a test of speed um, in comparison to, obviously, we you know, the stiff finish at Cheltenham. But the first two days at Cheltenham, I think, are, are about speed as well, as much as people emphasise on the fact of the stiff finish. You've got to be able to hold your position at Cheltenham. So mm-hmm. in that respect, um, you still need a, a high-quality horse who's, be, who's able to uh, travel well and hold the position. Um, in terms of entry specifically on the mild may track, say, not looking at the Grand National course, on the mild may course, um, I think hold up performers are what you should look for over hurdles because there's a long gap from the final hurdle in the back street to in the home street and it's on the outer of the two tracks and it gives the hold up horses a lot of time to um, find the position, rather like the new course on the Thursday and Friday at Cheltenham. So that's who told up performers. Uh, horses over fences on the Mildmay course who like to race up with the pace uh, find things beneficial I think particularly in the graded races where we often see smaller fields so um, I think if you can race on the front end and indeed over the Grand National course in the likes of the Topham and the Fox Hunters over two and a half if you can race handily and jump well um, entry is a track you see, you can, which does tend to suit um, those who like to race prominently uh, looking at those who are coming to back up in comparison to those who are having an HG fresh, I think it's it totally depends on the horse. And a lot of the time, the trainers don't even know until until the horse runs. There's a three-week gap between the meeting this year, which is standard. We've seen in the past a couple of week gap, which then makes things really tough. Um, and we'll, we'll touch on a couple of things. When we look at the bowl, there's been a couple of horses who finished second in the Gold Cup. Obviously, it's not going to, it's not going to matter this year. Well, had Appletard turned up, it would have been um, something to look at with him. And the twice that the runner-up from the Gold Cup has gone on and won the bowl, there was a four-week gap. So just things you've got to factor in. We're, we're obviously, we, when we start on Thursday, shortly, we'll be looking at the manifesto and obviously chase first because that's the first race of the meeting. There's only been 11 renewals of the manifesto and 10 of them have won by horses who ran on the, either in the Arkle or the Marsh, five apiece. So there's only actually one horse who's won the, who's won the manifesto as a fresh horse. So it's different things to factor in. As you say, each horse is individual. How, I always like to look at the fact that how many runs they've had in the season or in the second half of the season. The Shunter will be an example we'll talk about. Um, he's had a couple of quite tough races, I think, mm-hmm. Kelso and Cheltenham. So it might be slightly detrimental to a horse like him. Um, whereas on Friday, we'll look at Brave Man's game. Yeah, he's had five runs, I think, over hurdles, but he's only had one since Christmas. So again, like things like that, you need to factor in. But uh, at the end of the day, you can, we, we can talk now and say that a horse is going to turn up and perform. 
and then it turns up and it does slightly underperform. So you, you just don't know until you turn up. And it is something you need to factor in, especially when you're looking at the whole the horses with short prices. And Kate, obviously Irish domination. <clears throat> you know, we did a we did all right at Cheltenham. Um, I mean, I don't right. want, we don't we don't really want to go on about it too much. We we kind of like we've kind of moved on, and uh, <laughs> we have our our eyes firmly set now on the flat and uh, absolutely destroying and, uh, mm. and conquering all there but um, you know Ch- Cheltenham went well for us uh, in Ireland and uh, you, you kind of technically are, are, are Irish um, you, know, you spent a, you spent a lot of time here and of course you were working for Team Mullins as well so you were very much wearing the tricolour and you were proudly on Team Ireland so uh, I presume you're, you're Team Ireland again this week um, there are Irish horses heading over, but not as many. Obviously, but there's going to be a big Irish contingent for the Grand National, but not as many in the in the uh, supporting races, which is the first two days that we're talking about. And that's not really a surprise because we talked about that, given the prize money and all. But in terms of uh, the horses that you are looking for and the kind of profile of horse that, that you're looking for, given that you work with racehorses every day and that you analyze the form book every day what type of horse are you looking for when it comes to entry yeah well just to touch on the factor from Chelton to entry as well because that is evidently a very notable factor you have to be thinking about when siding with certain horses and there are a whole load of horses that we're going to be talking about now over these next uh, two days on the Thursday and the Friday of Aintree who did contest races at Cheltenham. Lots with trainers who chose to skip it and Paul has said sort of the reasons as to why many of those horses have. And that is something that I was concentrating very heavily on. But for me, it is circumstance by circumstance for these horses of which ones I've tried to side with and depends on what kind of races they had then at Cheltenham, if they were uh, out and out, you know, battling out in a finish, if they didn't have necessarily a hard time with things, if they, as Paul said, if they had had a long season prior to that, there's so many variables you have to think about, even with the three week break in between. But it is interesting because at uh, the last entry, actually, yeah, back in 2019, there I was there with a horse called Fan Fan de Soy, who ran really well in the Boodles at the Cheltenham Festival. And he came out of the race fresh, bouncing around at home, couldn't have been happy with him. He actually worked the best he had done in one piece of work in between the two meetings. And couldn't have, confidence couldn't have been any higher at all going there. And went there for the four-year-old hurdle then, and he ran an absolute stinker. Oh. And Brennan just said, that's not the same horse that was at Cheltenham. That's not the same horse. And we were like, but he, um, uh. so <laughs> even those who are, you know, supposedly in the know, knowing how the horses are at home, as Paul says, no one actually knows until you get them out on the track how they're going to go. And they can make you look very, very foolish because you can have every bit of confidence that they come out to a race, give you that false hope and then run flat as a pancake then afterwards. So, yeah, it is a complete sort of guessing game on that front, but at least we've got many variables, many facts, many statistics that statistics that Paul's going to give us that should hopefully uh, influence us at least in the right sort of direction. Damn right, Paul has put in the work. The Manifesto and Novices Chase is the first race that we're going to talk about, or I should say the Super Alloys, is that how we're supposed to pronounce it? Or is it yep. the SSSS Super Alloys Manifest Festo no, Novices Chase? One. Great, great. So Richard Hoyles then and Simon Holt are going to be going Super Alloys Manifesto Novices Chase. Uh, so Hitman, 
Uh, a horse that I really, really like is, um, well, particularly for the long term. However, I can't help but noticing that uh, there's a statistic here in the Weatherby's betting guide. And it says, Paul Nichols, zero from 12. Scratch. Uh, Paul Nichols and Harry Cobden have um, have Hitman, and uh, he's currently around about five to two. You may get bigger. Uh, Fussel Raffles, or as he is also pronounced, Kate. Fussel Raffles. <laughs> it's three to one after his second at the Cheltenham Festival. The shunter after his victory at the Cheltenham Festival, which annoyed some people. I don't know why. I thought it was a brilliant piece of placing. Well done, uh, Emmett Mullins. And I'm not just saying that because his name is Emmett and spelled correctly, like mine. Uh, seven to two, you can get four to one with one firm, but that'll probably be for about two quid. Uh, El Dorado Allen is a seven to one shot. And uh, is there any point in mentioning the other... Uh, oh, this is actually, yeah, yeah, we, we can, of course. But, but, oh, how dare I? How dare I? <laughs> I was thinking. Deary me. <clears throat> Umbregado, 12 to 1. Well, uh, I don't know. It's going to be tough for me to decide who to back here. Uh, Kate, what is your view on the manifesto and novices chase? Yeah, so... I actually do really like this race and to start with the front two at the head of the betting here and Hitman and Fusil Raffles and I, I, as we all know I really really like Fusil Raffles and I thought his run in the marsh at Cheltenham was very good and was the best possible result he could have got so especially considering he was up with the pace the whole race after making most before Harry Skelton took up the mantle halfway down the back straight on Chamblou but even then, I thought that Fusa Raffles did remarkably well to stay around after sitting in second behind the huge injection of pace and then to continue to battle all the way to the line was a serious effort. Saw him right back to his best, in my opinion. So we know that two mile four is very much his trip and that better ground sees into optimal effects, which he's hopefully going to get both of at Aintree tomorrow. And Paul's just been saying about how beautiful the ground is likely to be as well. And I was reading a few updates there this morning that there are few overnight showers forecast for tonight as well as showers up there there were this morning but you know it shouldn't be turning the ground uh, soft as such and I've read that Clark of the course is confident about that as well so good soft ground should be ideal for him but either way it should be just yeah beautiful racing conditions up in Aintree no real hard luck stories unless you know there really is a, a deluge but that doesn't look likely on the forecast and yes he's coming here on the back of a tough race as we were talking about from the Cheltenham to Aintree form but Nicky Henderson is the master of a quick turnaround from Cheltenham to Aintree. We've seen it year after year that his horses can be freshened up and readied four, three weeks later, which is ample time for them to recover and go again in the spring. So I'm probably going to side with Fusil Raffles. And But just to touch on Hitman, I do really respect him, but he hasn't done enough over fences yet to make me want to side with him over Fusil Raffles because if you're backing him here, it's still on potential as much as anything else. Whereas Busa Raffles is the proven grade one performer in this lineup over fences where Hitman won when taking full advantage of his nearest rival's frailties at Foss Last on Chasing debut before running, you know, a sound race behind all mankind in the Henry VIII. But again, he held, he, he was held and did best of the rest before then falling when trying to, when, when he was put off by a bit brilliant jumping display yet again by Chamblou in the City Isles. And then having to go to a three-runner novices chase at Newbury where he won exactly as he should have done as a 1-7 favourite. So he comes here as a fresher horse after missing Cheltenham, yes. And it was good to see his jumping back in good order at Newbury. 
but at very similar prices, or if not him at favourites, uh, as favouritism as they currently look, then I'd rather have the proven grade one form on the most recent run on my side here. So going to be siding with four solar raffles. Okay. And I think similar tactics will play to his strengths as well. I'm with you on Hitman. I love him, but I, I, I'm kind of leaning towards... I love him for next season, but I, I really do like him as a long-term prospect. I had a conversation with a, well, listeners will know who I'm talking about, actually, because he's a pro punter, and that's all he does. So who could that be? And he basically said, isn't Aintree just going to be about the big four again? Don't you need to just look at Mullins, Henderson, Foster, Slash, Sneezy, and DeBromhead? You just need to look at who they're running. And everybody else then needs to just hope that their horses underperform if they're taking them on. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out throughout the week because obviously uh, Kay is siding with a, a Nicky Henderson horse here in Fussel Raffles and I can completely see the argument as to why. However, is Paul Ferguson going to back up this argument or is he going to blow it out of the water? Uh, no, I think Kate's covered it perfectly, to be honest. I'll just oh, touch on Hitman so first. There you go. I would say like you, I'd say... Craig Hitman is potentially the, be- the best long-term prospect in the field. Um, he's a horse that I've liked for a long time since he was in France. Uh, when he came over the start of the season, I, would, I was led to believe that he would have a quiet season over hurdles and go chasing next year. But so was I. I think there was a change of plan. Um, and he went chasing straight away. Uh, he bolted up a fast last despite taking a second last fence with him. Mm. Um, and yeah, he's had a quieter preparation. Obviously, his fall in the Silly Isles wasn't ideal, but he got back with a confidence boost and win at Newbury. Oh, the- uh, preferred to have seen him win a, a shade more impressively to be honest I thought he had to work a little bit more than I expected mm. him to up the home street he said Newby but perhaps um, uh, being a little bit um, harsh on him there but no I agree uh, with you yeah, he's certainly he's certainly the one I would take for the long term I just find that this time of year it's, it's not that easy for five year old because the, the weight allowance has gone for them so he's racing off level weights as well now with the old horses whereas earlier in the season he was receiving weight from the likes of um, uh, the likes of Sport and John for example in the Silly Isles mm. um, so it's another thing to factor in um, I wouldn't be surprised if he run a huge race uh, and we're talking about people who've kept horses fresh Paul Nichols seems to have done just that this week with this week in mind because he's got an extremely strong team we'll touch on several throughout the Thursday um, so he could he could well have a good day but just at the prices again I personally have Fusil Raffles as I would have had him as favourite and he's second favourite of three to one so um, I'd have to lean from a betting perspective I'd, I'd, I'd have to lean his way um, again as Kate alluded to I thought he ran, a, he ran a really good race in the marsh bearing in mind that he was prominent throughout he'd done well to finish as close as he did I thought so I would even mark up that performance last time uh, prior to that he beat Lieutenant Rocco giving him £8 he's also I think could win a big handicap next season so I think that's strong form his, his early season form was on good ground we know he likes good ground as we touched upon in, in the overview um, I think a speed test is essentially what we might see at entry this week uh, and horses with top class hurdles form over the minimum trip have a good record in the manifesto um, and he certainly fits that bill so from a pro- profile perspective and from uh, the price I think you've just got to lean with Fusil Raffles way tomorrow yeah uh, I mean obviously it's all about Ombregado and he absolutely bolts up in, in this race and you're both he's out coming 
You're you're both completely wrong. Uh, no, I I do respect uh, Ombrigado, but I I'm with Fusil Raffles as well, uh, quite frankly. And also, that's one for the big four. Tick, Nicky Henderson. So let's 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 just see. A little bit derog- a little bit derogatory not to include Paul Nichols in the big four or the, or the big however many, especially when you consider him <laughs> that the the Irish aren't sending too many over um, to the other meetings. So. I'm literally, this is literally a quote from, all I I can say is uh, pro punter who should be known to the final Fulham podcast listeners quite well. Um, And that's all he does is he's a professional better. And he said, well, that's the big four, isn't it? And I did say to him, and what about Paul Nichols? And he said, I said the big four. I didn't say the big five. I went, okay, all right, fair enough. That's fine. Grant, he's very direct. Very, very direct. <laughs> so I went, that's fine. He's polite, but direct. He said, I didn't say I didn't say it was a big five. I said there's a big four. Um, so, yeah, uh, Fusil Raffles. And um, that point that uh, Paul has made uh, could very well come to fruition in the next race because Paul Nichols has got Mon Morale. Uh, who skipped Cheltenham and is the even money and in places odds-on favourite for the uh, Boom Bar Anniversary four-year-old juvenile hurdle, which of course is a grade one. Adagio has been smashed from two to one into seven to four. He says smashed from two to one, seven to four. Uh, There are places though that are going six to four and I think that will come under pressure actually. Uh, And then it's basically any price you want. Uh, He says that like, it's double figure prices about John Locke and the rest. Uh, Paul, uh, Mamoral comes in here fresh. Adagio ran a blinder behind Quilixios, who was clearly the best horse in the race in the Triumph Hurdle. Um, I can see why Mamoral is favourite, but I could also make the argument that Adagio should be favoured because he's the best British four year old. But uh, your thoughts on the race? Uh, yeah, I think it's pretty similar to the first race, to be honest. If you're talking about long-term prospects, and also I'd want to take from the race going forward, without doubt, it's Mon Morale. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also really impressed me at Otoy. I seen him at Paul Nichols' yard last summer, and I was blown away by him physically. I can't wait for him to see him go over fences. I assume he'll go chasing in the autumn, um, and we could well be seeing him in a manifesto this time next year, a la mm-hmm. um, Hitman. He just... He's just got the physique, and then I seen him again at Haydock in February. I and mean, I did actually think that the track at Haydock might have been a little bit tight for him, but you know, there was none of that. He blew uh, Nassalam away there. He beat Nassalam further than Adagio did in the Grade One at Chepstow, but um, pretty sure Na- Nassalam probably ran his, his race more so at Chepstow than he did uh, maybe at Haydock. Um, and again, I just I just think on. Actual form achieved, the dad you probably sh- should be a little bit ahead of them, I would think, at this stage, rather like Fusil Raffles over um, Hitman. So it's just more a price-related thing than anything else. Mom Rowling will probably encounter the quickest ground he's ever been on, so that's a slight unknown for him, whereas Adagio won on good ground first time out at Warwick. Um, as you said, he came out and ran a solid race, uh, went second to Colixios. Um, so I don't... I, I don't think I think I think it does look a match on paper, and I think the two of them are a little bit ahead of everything else. Um, and just at the prices, although as you've said, they're starting to come close together. I think yesterday it was like 
four to five and nine to four. And there was a definite, mm. there was too much of a, of a discrepancy, I thought, between the two prices. They're probably coming closer together now. Um, as I said, I can't wait to see Mon Morale go chasing next year. But if ever there's a day that Adagio might beat him, it might be on good ground over hurdles, over two miles at Aintree. Um, so tomorrow might well be um, Adagio's day. We just touch on one of the others. I thought John Locke um, travelled quite uh, eye-catchingly behind uh, Tritonic in the Adonis on his hurdles debut. And if you watch that, he was beating 21 lengths in the end of the form, but I'll tell you, but if you watch the race back, um, he was still travelling quite sweetly on the, on the home turn. So I'd expect him to step forward. Um, quite whether he's, he can step forward enough to bustle up the top two is, is, is another matter but I've expected him certainly to improve and he might be the one um, to, to chase the moment but as I say uh, definitely more morale to take the long term but I just think maybe Adagio will be a little bit more streetwise for him on quicker ground tomorrow Copy and paste Paul Ferguson's thoughts uh, essentially uh, you're right Adagio was 9-4 last night when I was going through this race and when we reviewed Cheltenham, Kate, I, I, I was re-emphasizing that fact that Adagio has clearly now stamped his authority as the best British juvenile. Um, you know, whether or not Tritonic ran his race in the day is anybody's guess, but he doesn't seem to have got an awful lot of respect this season. And I was stunned, quite frankly, to see the discrepancy in price. But it is closing all the time. And... Um, I just think that experience, his versatility regarding the ground and um, the fact that he actually has proper grade one form and we know he can fight um, while also being a horse who can win and um, and, and win quite cosily at times, uh, all play to his strengths. So I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. David Pipe was talking him up massively during the week as well. So... Uh, it's Adagio for me, uh, but what about you? Yeah, it's very interesting, this race, because we talk about all the time, and we were just talking about it actually then in the manifesto chase there, that you have a horse who is sort of priced up on the potential rather than the necessary proven form. And generally, I always go for that proven sort of battle-hardened profile, but not in this instance, I don't think, because I think I'm going to side with sort of the potential and from what I've seen, how much more I think there is to come from Mon Morale. I oh. really like him a lot. And for me, he's the best British juvenile uh, that he's looked, well, from what I've seen this season. How dare Especially, you? <laughs> I've, been, I've been saying this for a while that nothing is impressing over on this side of the Irish Sea as much as Mon Morale this season. And especially when he won at Doncaster. And prior to that, I think... It was the day before at Cheltenham and Paul Nichols had specifically mentioned this lad to watch out for, to watch out for Mon Morale. And he said that on ITV Racing, despite him being at Cheltenham where all his runners were, but he specifically mentioned Mon Morale. And he was right because this lad gave £5 and an absolute hammering to his rivals in the Doncaster Grade 2 Juvenile Hurdle for then impressing again, comfortably beating Nassalem at Haydock in the old Victor Ladorum with another likeable type with good form to his name this season, Ellen Valley, well beaten again back into third. And as Paul said, I've not actually seen him in person, but at least on the TV screen. So I'm happy Paul's saying that it's been backed up in person as well, that he looks like just a big, lovely, rangy horse uh, with a great attitude. And he's been the horse of Nichols's I've been most impressed by this entire season. 
And there should be even more to come from this lad still. And with him always likely to miss Cheltenham and Aintree very much being the plan for him, he should be fresh and tuned to perfection for this race. For all that, I do agree with Paul that I'm interested to see him then over fences more so. But I still think that he's going to take a fair bit of beating here. And I really do like Adagio. He's been such a solid horse this season. And he's been such a likeable horse to follow. Who he's he's been a very fair yardstick in which to assess most of the juveniles this season because he's run in all of the right races to give us a gauge on him and all of the other juvenile or top juvenile form. And for all that I've been one of the ones been trying to continue to take him on, he just keeps pulling out solid performances and he has proven form to his name. It's just whether or not Mon Morale is a bit special, which I think he could be, and that's going to make life hard for Adagio here. But for me, He's clearly, clearly the best of the rest of the market tells you that. So he'd be my second place banker behind Mon Morale. You know, if you if you wanted to play the exactor, it's not exactly the most attractive betting race with just the six runners here. But if you wanted to be trying to create any sort of value, especially if their prices sort of come closer together, then that would be my straight exactor. Mon Morale than Adagio. Jesus, what's that going to pay? Even money? <laughs> yeah. It's the only way in. <laughs> you're, you're playing with fire there. You're, like, you're hoping both stand up and that it goes exactly to plan that Mon Morale yeah. manages to beat Adagio. Uh, I'm not so sure. I think that Adagio can win this race. I, I will say Mon Morale winged his hurdles on, on both starts that I've seen so far. And um, it is interesting that Paul Nichols decided not to even give him a triumphal entry, that it was always the plan to come to entry. But um Yeah, I think he said I think he said that he just the regard in which he holds the horse long term. He said in the past that like the Clanders Oboe and Frodon had run in the triumph and the basically the, the national hunt horses they're not um triumphal horses. So um I think the, the the idea this year was maybe skip the triumph and see if he can win a grade one, which which makes sense in my opinion. I think I think the track did, I, I, and I agree with Case. I'm, I'm certainly not, not wouldn't be at all surprised if he won tomorrow. And I do think it's uh, he he could well be a bit special. But I just think on good ground, we don't know mm. enough about him. That that was only my that's it was purely from the price perspective was my um, was my angle at the race. But um, certainly long term prospect. I can't wait wait to see him again tomorrow. I completely agree. Of the two, I think the Mumrail will summer better and be the stronger and uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the Daggio next season if he stays over hurdles and goes into open company which will be difficult for him um, or if he goes over fences but Mon Morale looks made for tailor made for chasing and um, looks a bit of a beast uh, I will read some key stats though which you should just download for free um, from Weatherby's and again we'll tweet out the link 10 of the last 15 winners Finished in the first three in the Triumph Hurdle. Eight of the last 12 started their racing career in France. And also, the finale juvenile hurdle is three from six in the past 12 years. The words of Paul Ferguson backing up Adagio as the clear winner of this race. So take that, Kate Tracy. Take take that take in, in your face until Mamorel goes and bolts up, and they were like, "Kate, uh, what a sensational selection!" Um, <laughs> no, I, look, I, I really like Adagio, and um, it's interesting that they both had the exact same official rating. But uh, big fan of his, and I also think that it's extremely significant uh, as a final point to make that Adagio was 
16 to 1, and I'm pretty sure he hit 20s. And just before the off, he was 10s. The money just flooded in for him. And considering that Tritonic was at the head of the betting with Zanahir and uh, Quilixius, that was very significant, I thought. So, and he, and he got the each way gamble landed. So, um, void him out your pearl. Uh, the 250 at entry will be live on ITV and uh, our good friends at Racing TV with Nick and Lydia in action. And Clandis, oh, it's the same colors yet again. <laughs> I, I can see trebles being done. I can see patents being done. Clandisobo, with cheek pieces on for the first time, is favourite for this race, around about 5-2. to two. Then Waiting Patiently, who we know Paul is a big fan of, and uh, landed the each-way gamble for us. How, what price was Waiting Patiently when you put him up? Was he 22s, 25s for the King George? Yeah, right. Yeah, 25s. He was 25s into 12s on the day, it's all that Paul Ferguson money flooding in, and um, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for that briny frost, ugh, God damn it! Uh, four to one, uh, waiting patiently. Native River, who Richard Johnson would have been riding. Farewell, Richard Johnson. We'll talk about him next week, and what an incredible career he had. Fives, Tiger Roll, eleven to two. Uh, Mister Fisher, Kate, seventeen to two. Uh, Kate Clondall Castle, <coughs> hammered in the betting. 10 to 1 was available two days ago. 7 to 1 is what we're currently looking at. Eights in places. Uh, and then it's real still and whoever else. Uh, so, Kate, you better lead us off here. Do you ride out Clondark Castle? Uh, sometimes. Occasionally sort of get to ride him out. I mean, any, anyone can ride him. He's literally the biggest bus in the yard. So anyone can get on him. But <laughs> Okay. Uh, between- so so the, the, the question I have for you about him then is that after he won the whatever the hell it's called, Chase at Kempton now that no one can remember the name of. Uh, by the way, congratulations, yeah. well done. Brilliant that Johnny Burke was back on board and it's great that Johnny is fit and that he can ride at entry as well. The fact that Tom George said straight after his defeat of Eric LaRouge, I've been thinking about entry and the bowl for quite some time and that's where he'll go next. That quote stood out to me on the day and it still stands out to me now as I look at this field. So... How, what's the atmosphere in the yard? How confident are you? Um, how much should we be having on? Uh, should we be spreading our money around with different firms not to cause too much of a gamble? What's the story? <laughs> Just so it goes under the cotton a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's such a funny horse because he's this big, gorgeous animal, but you literally, you wouldn't notice him at home because he is so quiet and he just goes about his business, no bother on him. And he just sort of ticks over, ticks along, He's almost like just like a vacant horse. He's just another sort of robot horse with the way he goes about his business. But he, this is definitely his trip, though, especially around a track like Aintree, because that's why confidence was so high going into Kempton, because we'd always thought he's he is a very fast horse. Like, he's got plenty of speed. You, you know, he'd be one of the best work horses in the yard. So he's definitely not lacking that. But that's why he can hold his position and travel as well as he does over three miles, you know, around Kempton. So the fact that better ground, better ground is key to him as well. At Aintree, over this trip, over the three mile one, just shy of one extra furlong then here as well, will definitely play to his factor. Touchwood, he's a brilliant jumper as well. And he just has every sort of box ticked. And for all that it was a grade three that he won last time out, then you've always thought that this horse would be able to hold his own 
amongst grade one competition. And of course, he has faced grade one competition in the past. He's faced grade two in the Peaceborough chase. And uh, prior to that, then obviously he um, ran really well in the Arkle then prior to that behind Duke de Geneva. So he has got that kind of form to his name for all that he may be overlooked. So definitely, I wouldn't put one person off of backing him at an each way price here to outrun his odds. Yeah, he's... um, He's just a very, very solid and consistent horse. So, yeah, him from an each way play because this race is wide open. It's such a tricky race to try and weigh up, but it is a it's a cracking race nonetheless. So, yeah, very excited on his part. But towards the head of the market, of course, we've got Clanders Oboe here, who, as we know, is our proven grade one winner here. But I just, I haven't been enamoured with his season so far this season. Admittedly, first time out in the Betfair chase, he looks like, I mean, he had two goes at Bristol de May rather than the one. And Bristol de May was very much back to form in his back garden there in the Betfair chase. So you thought that was going to set him up perfectly then for the King George. It wasn't run to suit. He was held up towards rear, only ended up finishing third. But last time out, I thought, right, well, here we go. He can't surely get beaten in the Denman chase then here. But again, Bryony Frost on the front end, Gay Secret Investor, a cracking ride lulled them to sleep. But I thought that Clanders Oboe, despite that, had every chance to go past Secret Investor. Mm. And he just didn't. And so that's, I mean, you can totally understand why. I think Paul Nichols pretty much said himself, we're going to put headgear on him next time out because he's just thinking a bit too much about the game. So whether or not the cheap pieces will spark that sort of extra bit of resolve into him, then that remains to be seen. But at least they're giving it every chance for the first time out here. But because of the nature of this race... I would probably be looking to take him on here just by how his season has shaped. And and I'm also a huge fan of waiting patiently here as well. Managed to follow Paul in then each way for the King George. Didn't unfortunately get the price that Paul put up first and foremost. But uh, yeah, I've got a, few, a fair few points smaller at least. But he is just, I hope that this is waiting patiently's chance to, you know, shine properly where it's really deserved because he's done nothing wrong for me so far this season from his two runs following the year-long absence where obviously we said he ran a cracker to finish second of a King George after running on in the finish just failing to get to Frodon but was closing him down all the way to the line of course as we documented on the review of the King George that race wasn't run to suit whatsoever and he was fresh and keen so it was held up in rear and as a result, from a very early stage, you knew that that was not the place to be for him because A, Kempton being the front runner bias track and B, Frodon setting a very steady pace up front, which made it pretty much a hopeless pass to come from off the pace. So he was a standout performer on that basis behind the winner with nothing playing to his advantage. And then he was ridden a bit handier last time out over the two mile and a half of furlong trip in the Clarence House chase to finish third. And that was another huge effort in defeat. And after first flowing politologue went hammer and tongs and set up a real battle and a strongly run race, which suited waiting patiently over that trip. But back over to three mile one here on a flat track, perfect ground conditions, coming here as a fresh horse. This could really be his time to shine. You just hope that they again ride him more positively here. But I'd say they'll do that because you could see quite clearly from Ruth Jefferson, her reaction after the King George, she was trying to hide her disappointment of how they played the race. So hopefully a bit more positive tactics here, all conditions in his favour. This will be waiting patient at least time. So interesting that there's been quite a market move for him. So the Kate Tracy millions have been uh, obviously <laughs> flowing on. My, my house is tapped. <laughs> flowing on. Tiger Roll. There is obviously a lot of disappointment that he is not going for a historic 
three in a row. Red Rum won three Grand Nationals, but he didn't win three in a row. Uh, that doesn't take away from his performances, by the way. Red Rum is an absolute hero. And one of the first things I did when I got to Aintree for the first time was go and see Red Rum's grave, which is, to be honest about it, one of the most emotional things I've ever seen. And I was not alive, despite how old I may sound, when he was racing. Neither was Andrew Blair White, by the way. Uh, people are saying, how old is Andrew Blair White? Is he 60? Close. Quote from Eddie O'Leary on the day of, of Cheltenham. At this stage of his career, Tiger Roll knows what he likes and what he doesn't like. This is his discipline. We have no regrets about the Grand National, none whatsoever. He is too highly rated. You can't compare these cross-country horses to Gold Cup horses, but he's rated the same as our Gold Cup horse, Delta Work, which is ridiculous. Tiger Roll and Easy Land ratings have ridiculous ratings. Sorry, they're not Gold Cup horses. We'll see what the Irish handicapper does now. He could go for the Irish Grand National next. And yet, he rocks up in what is effectively a Gold Cup type race. But he also said something else. The ground was the difference. And it was. Tiger Roll wants good ground. Uh, I know that people are saying he has a terrible record on this uh, on this particular track at entry. But he's also a horse who will lead. And Native River will lead. But uh, Colin Tezard's horses are, you know, coming into contention and then just dropping right back through the field. Tiger Roll, however, Jack Kennedy can lead on. Waiting patiently might, might lead, maybe. But Tiger Roll can definitely go out in front. And if he does, he might be difficult to peg back. Is that complete and utter bollocks, Paul Ferguson? Or is there something to that? Uh, well, I got him completely wrong at the festival in the festival preview. I, <laughs> I, I didn't expect... Uh, expect to see what we saw. Um, mm. Alice for his chances in this race. Uh, yeah, he might get he might get loose on the front end maybe, but um, I still think it's a big ask. I still think I, th- I thought it was a weak uh, weak enough renewal of the cross country. Um, Cheltenham I'm not taking anything away from his performance, and the ground was probably much quicker than Easy's Land would have liked. So um, I still think even though this looks probably a substandard renewal of the of the bowl, um, I think he's going to need to step forward again um, in this company personally. Um, I'm intrigued to see what he can do and I'm kind of <sighs> this race has, has perplexed me. Yes, sorry that is the sound of Coca-Cola and uh, other brands are available but hey we need caffeine. I think I'm with him to be honest about it but who are you with Paul? Yeah, I, I wouldn't have a strong view in a race to be honest. I think um, Kate's uh, covered Klander's oboe. Well we've seen him twice in this race he was third in 2018 on second uh, the following year I watched them two races back this morning again and he gets quite lit up I don't know whether it's something to do with the track or obviously um, there won't be a big big crowd like there is and I don't know I don't know if that's any effect on him but he, he seems to be quite lit up in, in both those races at Ancient and whether the cheap pieces will have, have that kind of effect mm-hmm. on him again and um, I thought he ran a cracker at Haydock I thought that's like Kate said I thought that would have set him up for a really good season I was slightly disappointed that he couldn't beat Secrets of Vest the last time for all that he was conceding way to him um, I thought he should have gone past them really so mm. perhaps that's why he's got the cheek pieces on I don't know but um, this is probably a weaker renewal in the races he's finished placed in the, the twice so it might be his opportunity to go and win but at that kind of price I wouldn't be um, rushing to back him as you've already said I've been a fan of waiting, waiting patiently for a long time hopefully 
<laughs> this is finally his day to get his head in front. Maybe um, if you just look, if you just look at the opposition, if there's one horse that is a genuine top class Grade One horse in the field, it, it probably is waiting patiently. Um, and I think, like Kate says, perhaps tomorrow could be his day. He ran well in a falsely run race at Kempton. Again, dropping right back by the best part of a mile probably wasn't, in hindsight, the best thing to do. But whether he would have then waited another month, I think, for the Ascot chase over 2-5. And then I think Roots thinking probably would have been that, that that then would have got a little close to Cheltenham or Aintree. And we know that from his form in the past that he does go best when fresh. So I like the fact that he's been off since January. Uh, I don't envisage him being ridden too prominently, but I hope he's he's not too far off the pace. You mm. think can see, as you've said, Native River and Tiger Roll are going to go forward. I don't think the ground will be to Native Rivers and like him personally. So mm. whether he's quick enough, and it's more case of having question marks about quite a few of them. Clondor Castle arrives in form, but again he's got to take a step up in class. He kind of reminds me of Nakarat, who won the same race for Tom George at mm. Kempton and then came on and did win this race. So um, it's not. Out beyond the realms possibility. Mr. Fisher, I've always thought good ground on a flat track is probably what he's after, despite him having performed well at Cheltenham before. So again, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too surprised to see him bounce back to some sort of form. But is he at the same level of pure natural ability of waiting patiently? I wouldn't I doubt it. And that's the thing, really. It's just that whether he whether he's he's the right kind of price now, he's around seven to two, four to one. Um, people are questioning the fact that he hasn't won since when. 2018, but he's only had six run, six starts since, and, and I hear people questioning, um, perhaps questioning the stable form. But Ruth has got this down on numbers a little bit at present, and she did have Condor Caitlin Ramwell, I thought, last week. So I wouldn't be concerned in that regard. Um, and I just hope uh, things fall right for him tomorrow when he gets his day in the sun. You would just love to see this horse go and win and like if I do back Tiger Roll or if I back Clondor Castle whoever it is that I decide to come down on and to be honest about it it's between the two right now um, I wouldn't be at all disappointed if Ruth Jefferson's waiting patiently comes along and, and wins because you can't not but root for her and you can't not but root for him because it's very much a case of what could have been things just have not gone right for him over the years just goes to show you that it's never a guarantee in racing and to take your chance take your shot when you've got it but I hope that he runs well and uh, best of luck to all connections I think, I think the guarantee was when he ran in a novice handicap chase at Sedgefield off 123 <laughs> oh jeez could you imagine just being given the call that day you know what this horse's rating is it going to end up being just like get stuck in basically. Uh, it would also be fantastic. He actually beat a decent horse that day as well called Burton as well who went on to yeah. uh, so it was a pretty pretty good piece of form. This could be Brian's chance of a big race winner at the festival as well because he's he's actually going to Sedgefield mm. on Friday instead of instead of riding at Aintree. He also didn't ride at Cheltenham. He went in, in quest of victories uh, at other tracks during the Cheltenham Festival which I massively respect in his quest to be champion jockey, but you do want to see the champion jockey at the Cheltenham Festival. And so I, I would like to see potentially the champion jockey uh, for this season win a big race at Aintree. Um, to and be he, fair, he, he said he had nothing to ride at Cheltenham. <laughs> to be fair, he said, like, uh, sure, I haven't got any rides. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, uh, I, I think that's disappointing, think but 
uh, all these guys are retiring now, so hopefully that's going to open up for them. But then again, there's a lot of jockeys who have retainers, and there's all kinds of different. Yeah, uh, I, think on, I think on Friday, looking at the, the decks, and we'll move on to Friday shortly. I think he was potentially going to ride uh, Silver Hallmark for um, the Rookers, but I think that was all that he had on Friday as well. So he's going up for a near full booker rides at um, Sedgefield, obviously in his quest for the title, as you say. Yeah, lucky sixty-three at Sedgefield on the, on the Friday. Uh, more from the team in a second. First of all, the final Fulham podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote, which is looking to bring pool betting back to the masses, and I think that has been proved uh, definitely to be the case so far with better value, brilliant bets, and of course the slick new app. Which, if you can't access in Ireland, don't worry, just uh, use your browser on your mobile device, tablet, or use the desktop site. It is absolute quality. And with the tote guarantee, you will never be paid less than SP on win bets. And of course, if the pool pays more, you will get the bigger price. It's never been easier to place your favorite bets online, including PlaySpot, Scoop6, Trifecta, uh, Box Exactas, as our good friend Barry Faulkner would say, as well as the brand new Tote Survivor, where the aim of the game is to be the last person standing. That game's quite fun. Uh, I've yet to win it, though. Importantly, when you bet with Tote, your money goes back into supporting racing. And this is very much at a time when the industry has never needed it more. So if you want to support the sport that you love while having a bet, well, then bet with Tote. And of course, they're not a bookie. So... They'll never close down winning accounts or stop you from having a big bet. So remember, winners are more than welcome. And if there's a horse that you really like at entry and that horse is going to be a price, even if that horse is going to be favorite, then you want to be backing on the tote because you're going to get the guaranteed SP anyway. So now is the time. Join Tote today at tote.co.uk. It is the same as tote.ie. Both are the same and terms and conditions apply. And if I dare mention the flat season, Weatherbees have just released their flat horses to follow for 2021. And you know who's contributed to it, Kate? Is it Paul Ferguson? It is. It's jumping fan Paul Ferguson has uh, contributed to the flat horses to follow. Uh, he has five uh, picked out for the season. Uh, one is a cheat, though, who we'll talk about a little bit later on. Anyway, uh, if you would like to get this, it's absolutely fantastic. There are well over 40 potential winners in waiting. They look at classic contenders. Uh, they look at juveniles. There's obviously pedigree analysis. Um, when you're talking about first season stars like Caravaggio and all kinds of so much fantastic insight that you would always expect from Weatherbees. It's all there in Flat Horses to Follow 2021. You need this. And we got you covered with the gravy because you know we're going to get you a discount on this. So when you're buying it uh, at weatherbeesshop.co.uk, just enter in the promo code FLAT21. So it's all lowercase F L A T. Two one. Promo code is live now. Enter it. Three pounds off. Whether it's the print, you want the book, if you want the digital copy, like I have here on the iPad, or if you want both, you decide. You will get that gravy. Three pounds off. Flash 21. Promo code is live now at weatherbeeshop.co.uk. Uh, we got your back again uh, with our good friends at Weatherbees, and that is a 
excellent publication that you definitely, definitely need. Uh, also, there's a big podcast on the Final Four Long coming up soon that you're not going to want to miss when it comes to the flat season. But Kate, stop, stop talking, Kate. Don't tell anybody. All right. The feature race of the day, technically speaking, is the Betway Entry Hurdle, uh, Grade 1. I almost called it something else. I'm not entirely sure why. Abracadabra is his favorite. All right. 7-2. Jason the Militant has been backed off the boards. 9-2 into fours and shortening all the time. McFabulous. 4-1. You can't get 9-2. Bruno Storm is on the drift. Out to 13-2 with one firm. Generally a 6-1 shot. And Song for Someone. 8-1. Bouvadere. How can you not like him? Uh, tens. All right. Kate Tracy, the entry hurdle. Who do you like? Yeah, really looking forward to this. And I'm slightly disappointed that Jason the Militant is being backed in the way that he has. Mm. I thought... He had a fair amount of value to his name. I mean, he still does now, but it's like the same slash. Goodness. Uh, I, I missed. Did you back him? Have you backed him already? Because we're clearly going to be on the same page here. Have you backed him yet? Not yet. No. Okay. <laughs> so I, I'm so I, I was looking at the at the cards and as I was going through, I was like, Jesus, Jason the Militant. Like, obviously he's going to be a big price. I have to go back in. And I saw the market move eight to one into nine to two and I went, ah, come on, man. And I, I decided to leave it. And now he's shortening again. It's like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. So mm-hmm. look, lucky 63 territory here. Unless, of course, Kate is going to change her mind and go with something else. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to this race. But sort of for me to come down on one, it's been a process of elimination for me more so than anything. I've had to sort of take the negative mindset on that basis. Because, I mean, McFabulous, who was ahead of Jason the Militant in the market when I first checked, he was actually favourite when I first looked at this race. Mm. Uh, but he just doesn't jump well enough for me. For all, I think he possesses a lot of ability, but he's always taken a long time to really come to himself jumping wise after he took a fall at home, which reportedly really knocked his confidence. And then his first season hurdling was really about getting that confidence back as much as anything. And then this season you really thought, wow, okay, they've really made a man out of him here, you know, in his preseason training and must've got plenty of schooling into him. And he ran a cracker to finish third behind Paisley Park and Time Hill when not seeing out the three mile trip of the long distance hurdle at Newbury before posting a very good performance when back in trip to win the rescheduled red kill, rail kill hurdle at Kempton. However, it just looks, it looks an almost formality for him in the national spirit hurdle last time out, provided he could turn up in similar form to Kempton. However, he just jumped awfully, gave himself an early scare in that race, which just completely bottomed his confidence straight away. And you could see from then on that this horse just wasn't going to be winning this race. And he should really have been bossing it on ability. But he was firmly put in his place. And I fear again here that those memories of his latest start may come back to haunt him. And with a very good pace guaranteed here, you know, the likes of Silver Streak, not so sleepy in here, you know, there's so much pace on. Then he doesn't have, McFabulous doesn't have any luxury to be making any early errors or settling himself into a rhythm. So I want to be against him here. And Abacadabras, I mean, obviously last time out, we saw him falling in the champion hurdle. But even prior to that, he's the horse who would travel into the race like the good thing, like he's going to hack up on the bridle. And I'm just, I'm still just not sold on him at all. And unfortunately, we didn't really get a chance to see him, how he was going to fare in the champion hurdle because he only, he fell at the third. 
so we didn't get to see much of that unfolding. I, I that can again. I can tell you if if you like because mm. I've, I've Doctor Strange was here and I saw through the multiverse an alternative version of the race. He yeah, just yeah. buckled under pressure and sunk like a stone as usual. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was hoping for at least anyway. <laughs> but yeah, again, I want to be against him here for the win purposes. And the horse that I clearly really like instead is Jason Militant, who posted no fluke of a performance last time out to win a grade three hurdle over two miles at Fairy House, where he comfortably beat Petit Mouchoir, who looked to have everything in his favour to be winning that race. But Jason Militant gave Petit Mouchoir nine pound and a seven and a half length beating. So it was a serious weight carrying performance as he had to carry a previous grade two winning penalty in the race. Admittedly, I think he would ideally want softer conditions than this, but he is stepping up in trip here to two mile four for the first time. So the better conditions may well bring his speed into play from his two mile exploits. And he should get the trip here due to the conditions and the way that he's been shaping in his races. So he was the one I was going to be coming down on for win purposes, just not quite the price that he was. Paul Ferguson, your view on the feature race of day one. Uh, I actually backed Bruno Storm a couple of weeks ago for this, but not anticipating it to be as competitive as it is. I still think he could be the pick of the English. I think he'll confirm the form with Mac Fabulous, despite the weight turnaround from Fontwell. Um, I think he's been rejuvenated since he's gone back hurdling and um, he's, he's took another step forward from his winning handicap company at Taunton. Um, so Ollie Murphy's got his horses in fine form as Kate says there's a lot of pace on here so I think I imagine Aiden will ride him quite quietly and I think there'll be a couple of finishes from off the pace who might hit the frame here him being one so as his price has gone out I'll still stick with him each way um, I know it's just Buzz being well back shout out to Jess Stafford shout out Jess I can actually see Buzz running on through beating horses as well I think he'll be I think he'll be given a, um, a patient ride and I think the race might just fall apart a little bit here. Uh, as for Jason the Militant, his form and Abacadabras ties in quite closely. They closely matched on a couple of runs down Royal um, and in a Morgiana. So I think the fact that his price has contracted is more to do with, I think a couple of people have realised that and he was like twice the price of Abacadabras. So it was probably the each way play in the race for many. Um, so I think that's why they've come close together. I think that the Irish do hold a bit of a key. Abacadabras, without doubt, will travel into the race, provided he's over that fall. And anyone who's an in-running play, player, I would suggest that if you wanted to back him and get out in running at some stage on the approach to two out, I'd imagine he's going to be trading pretty mm-hmm. short tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I think I think the speed test will really suit him. Whether he wants two and a half miles is another matter, but I think a truly run race on a flat track on good ground I think he'll just travel for a long way on the bridle, quite what he finds when he gets off it. And you're unlikely he's going to be able to win this race on the bridle. And I think that's what he might have to do if he is going to win it. So I'd say for people who, who like to play and run, and he looks a back, definitely looks a back to lay option because um, I could see him coming there cruising under Jack Kennedy two out and he'll be trading pretty short. And as I say then, I think from the pace on the front end might collapse and there'll be a couple of finishes. I'm hoping that Bruno, Bruno Pastor will still run on and I'll take him at around six, seven to one to hit the frame. The good to soft ground is going to change things as well because a lot of the horses that we didn't see run at Cheltenham who've been running on soft ground and doing very, very well will now have to face this better ground. And 
I actually think Jason Millicent might improve for it, Kate, which I think is one of the reasons why he's getting the support he is. Also, he's from the Big Four theory of the DeBromhead team. We'll see if we can make this a thing on the podcast. <laughs> uh, again, that's Henderson, Mullins, Foster, Denise Foster, Sneezy, and DeBromhead. I'd love to see Boz run well, uh, not just because Jess is uh, a friend and also a massive contributor to the podcast and now the star of racing TV. Sorry, Nick. Sorry, Lily. I apologize. Obviously, you're the stars, but, you know, she's come, She's basically coming for you. But Boz is running for the Royal Marsden Cancer Charity. So anything that supports a cancer charity, I'm all in for. And Nikki Anderson has a fantastic record in this race. So best of luck, Jess. And uh, I hope it, it goes well. And I think Jess can be there as an owner. So that's great as well. I kind of think Bouvedere is going to surprise some people and run a big race. It's interesting that they just skipped Cheltenham entirely and are coming here. He did win the race in 2017. Of course, and he won the top novice uh, the year before, so mm-hmm. um, he certainly handles the track. I think he was beaten due to the soft ground on Super Sunday beaten two years ago, to be honest. That's that what I thought. Caught him out over the trip. Um, if, he's, if he's anywhere near that form, then yeah, I, I thought he went, he went well for like, what, 80% of the race at Haydock and then um, I know they're expecting him to step forward fitness-wise. I just thought if he would have come on from the champion Earl trial at Haydock and he would have been anywhere near his best, he would have took his chance at Cheltenham. Yeah. Would be my way of looking yeah. at it. I don't, I don't think that those connections would have... Um, obviously, maybe he just, he just thought he needed a little bit longer, but it just indicates to me that he didn't really come to hand after Haydock, otherwise he would have took his chance in what looked an open champion Earl. I, I wondered if they obviously, just... Before I, the race... I wondered if they looked at the champion hurdle and just thought, 10-year-olds don't win it. you got to be sea pigeon to win the, the champion hurdle. So let's just skip it and go to Aintree. And I'm just wondering if that's what Frankie... Maybe. I'm wondering if that's what Frankie Tidelips yeah. was thinking. But may, maybe it could have been to do with the fact that they were a bit disappointed with what, what they saw. Um, yeah, maybe. They obviously, they had epitons as well. But uh, yeah. that was just the way I thought at the time when he said, we're going to wait and go for Aintree. I just thought maybe he's... he's wasn't quite hundred percent Cheltenham week. So um look if he comes if he comes back to his best, yeah, yeah, he's obviously he's probably he's obviously the one they've all got to beat, but you're holding out a little bit of hope on the evidence that we've had recently. Mm. Big time. Generally you're gonna get tens about him. I have to say the more I look at the race I'm I'm fascinated by him and I'll I'll do the I'll do the exacta on Toast with uh, Jason the Militant and Bouvedere. Four oh five, Patrick Mullins gets to come over. I'm sure he's relieved that he actually gets to be uh, in the UK competing uh, in the Fox Hunters, having had to miss Cheltenham. So he's going to be on his beloved Billaway. And he is your favourite. Then it's Cat Tiger uh, at fours, Semetagal, uh, some man. Is Billaway just going to outclass this field, Paul? Uh, possibly. I'm not, not sure the, the shorter trips him massively in his favour. Um, and he does tend to he jumped well at Cheltenham but he does tend to make the odd mistake so um, he will need to be at his best in, in the jumping department um, so as favours I, I, I'd be looking elsewhere slightly to be honest I, I quite like Cat Tiger in the fact that I think he's a, he's a speedy individual he's not he's not your standard type horse you would look for this he's younger than your average winner um, by some way but he, I think it, it was clear that he was purchased by David Maxwell for him to ride him in in this this race, um, and this kind of trip is ideal for him. He was having his first start in the best part of a year when he won at Leicester, um, and he was well on top before tired and a little bit late on in soft ground. Tango did you you take someone again? Came out and drank that four by with the next time. Um, I think he's got a touch of class about him. He's got 
even though he's, he's only a seven-year-old, he's got plenty of experience uh, from running over fences. He's a graded winner um, in France at O'Toole. He actually won with David Maxwell on him after he bought him on his final start before joining him, Paul Nichols. And I think he, I'm pretty sure he chucked him off on the way to the start at O'Toole before winning the grade three that day. Um, yeah. And he, he's not short of pace. I was at Worcester the day he made his British debut and he was second to a decent horse of uh, Charlie Lonson's on good ground over two miles at Worcester. So that, that'll be sharp enough for most. So I think he, he's probably got more speed and more natural pace than um, a lot of the, the horses who will be you'll be taking on tomorrow. I think his his prominent style of racing and his his style of jumping is quite low and efficient. I think I just think he'll take to it. Um and think he might take a bit of pegging back. Okay. Uh so Cat Tiger for uh Paul. What about you, Kate? I was going to say. Oh yeah, go on. Go on. If you've got more no, I gravy. Was say I was quite <laughs> I was just gonna say I was quite impressed with um some man how he won at Down Royal on decent ground and um, his form on good ground is a lot better than it is on, on anything else. So he won over two, th- best, just shy of two and a half miles um, at Down Royal. So again, he, he, he's a horse with plenty of natural pace. So um, I think conditions might be in his favour as well tomorrow. So he could go well on the Barrio deal. Okay, nice. And that could be the Paul Ferguson exacta then. Uh, Cat Tiger and some man. And Paul Ferguson will be some man if he lands that exacta on <laughs> Tote. I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm not at all. Uh, Kate, your thoughts on the race? Yeah, I think Paul's covered two horses I was really looking into as well there, really well with Cat Tiger and sort of the the class angle that he might possess and the fact that he is the seven-year-old and, you know, sort of that that he ran back over fences and on the back of a year off at Leicester last time out doesn't take away from his previous chasing experience in France prior to that and the fact that he has been bought specifically for this race there are and on the back of the second start after the wind operation as well I do really respect Cat Tiger and some man as well who was interesting even on his previous point to point run where he actually beat Cruz Linen who had won about 13 races in the season previous something like that and is a uh, top-notch horse as we know and definitely a top-notch pointer as well nowadays so, yeah, I, I did also really look at him. However, it's just with Billaway. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to obviously spend some time with Billaway during Cheltenham. And he's just, he's a lovely horse. He's admirably consistent. He's really well put together. He's a really nice size of a horse. He's so laid back. He has all the attributes to think that he should be able to take the turnaround from his battling second in the Cheltenham Fox Hunters to Aintree. And he's obviously yet to run over the Aintree fences, but he has plenty of size and scope to be coping with the national fences. And for all that he was a bit fresh at uh, a few early fences in the Cheltenham Fox Hunters and was coming up long enough early on, but hopefully that was just a bit of freshness as much as anything because all of the horses who had spent most of Cheltenham week up at Aintree, they were fairly fresh when they then came down to Cheltenham. So that early enthusiasm can be excused. And, you know, he's back at Aintree now and has been for a few days, well, at Haydock. So hopefully he won't have, you know, he won't be on quite a merry-go-round quite as much this time around when travelling over. But he's just a really likeable horse with the form there for all to see, which makes him the horse to beat here as the market would have it. And I don't think this trip should be too much of an issue for him. Obviously, as Paul said, it's not ideal, but he had one or two mile, five and a half furlong on Hunter's Chase at Down Royal easily in December. So, for me, with that proven form again, I'm going to come down on Billaway for all that I totally agree that I respect Cap Tiger and some man as well, but going to come down on Billaway. I'm taking you one, Paul. I'm going with Kate. 
uh, with the horse that I mentioned at the top, Billaway, Patrick Mullins. Justice! Justice for Patrick Mullins having missed out on the ride at Cheltenham. <laughs> of course, he would have made all the difference. Yes, of course, he would have. Uh, Eileen Dover is a very short price favourite for the Goffs UK Nickel Coin Mares Standard Open National Hunt Flat Race. Catchy. Really is. It really rolls off the tongue, that one. This has been the target and the form has worked out well. We all know that. Ile Bell ran a stormer in the champion bumper and was clearly uh, best of the rest behind Sir Gerard and Kilcruet, who are in a class of their own. And then we've got Me Too Please, uh, who comes over from Ireland. Yes, there's an Irish runner. Uh, Arthur Moore. Arthur Moore with a bumper runner in England. Rachel Blackmore on board at a double figure price when they're paying five places. Intriguing. You're all over Eileen over here, basically, Paul, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. I think she'll. I think she'll win, but I don't. I don't think. She, I wasn't expecting it to be odds on to be LA Bell. To be honest, I thought she'd be in shade of odds against maybe. Um, if you if you use Grangey as a form line, there wouldn't be just on a strict line of form between there. There wouldn't be a, a whole lot between them. Um, she finished third behind Eileen Dover at Market Race and when she was completing a hat-trick uh, Grangey then went to Leopardstown won a grade two beaten Party Central um, who came out and franked that form by winning at the weekend should be said and then finished sixth in the champion bumper and was beaten a similar distance um, behind LA Bell um, so I don't think there was um, too much between them I was, again I, was, I didn't think there'd be a slightly as much discrepancy in the prices I thought they'd be more being uh, Eleven to ten, fifteen to eight—that kind of thing. But I do, I do think on decent ground on a track like Ainsley, I think Eileen Dover, who um, is heading on the flat after this, might just have too much pace for them um, in receipt of her four-year-old allowance. I think, yeah, I think tactically, I think this will be a good race because Paul O'Brien was was quick to cover cover any moves at market raising, whereas I think Harry Skelton will sit and wait um, on LS Bell. So. I think it could be a bit of cat and mouse up the home straight. I think the two of them are quite a way clear on form that we've seen so far. Obviously, some of the horses only run once or twice, so it could take a, step, a significant step forward. But to me, it kind of looks like the champion bumper in that you've got two well above average performers mm. who set a, a very high bar. Uh, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if they fought out the finish. Um, in terms of if someone was looking for a, a bigger price to try and hit the frame, the one I was looking at was Laura Morgan's Where's Maud Gone? Uh, she was really impressive when she won uh, a bumper in Ireland and when she was ridden by Derek O'Connor who actually takes the ride again mm-hmm. tomorrow interestingly enough um, she was well supported uh, for her British debut at Air and she travelled into, into straight like she was going to win by half the track and in the end was all out to win by her neck so um, at the time it was kind of it was the performance that good but then Condessa of Simon Muneer's and Isaac Swade came out and finished third in that listed event of Fairy House that I've just mentioned that was won at the weekend by Party Central. So in given um, seven pounds, I think it was probably a better effort, much better effort than it, than it looked at the time. And we've seen that obviously she, she, she battle-hardened from that. She, she, we know she'll um, put her head down. So four places, 20 to one. Um, I wouldn't put anyone off having a little interest in there, but... I do think it does lie between the top two, and I would just favour Eileen Dover. Where's Maud gone as a potential each-way play? I wouldn't be surprised if Eileen Dover is odds against on the day. 
it's, yeah, I it's, think it's, she might ease, to be honest. I think she might ease. I'd expect the skeleton there to get back, to be honest. She's a course and distance winner. Mm. She absolutely bolted up. How was that entry that day? And she was um, fairly impressive. Straight after that race, I thought she'd be back in April for the for the grade two. It seemed an obvious target. And a collateral form boost for the champion bumper again at the weekend with, let's be clear about it, winning in Ireland. He'd obviously been beaten by both Sagir Hard and Kilcrut. So it just, again, upheld their form. She was a clear third best behind them at Cheltenham. So she's got the single best piece of form on offer. So I think a few people will pick up on that. And I'd imagine they'll come slightly closer in the market. I would be shocked if you're not correct about that. Kate, your view on the final race of the day? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Eileen over again here. I mean, her form is just getting better and better. And she hasn't even had to step one foot out of a box to look like an even better mare than we initially might have even thought. But she does just look a bit of a freak, this filly. Still only a four-year-old. So she's also only carrying the 10 stone eight here in comparison to most of her rivals on 11 stone. So she's got six pound in hand here. Clearly looks the best source in the race with her official mark of 127. Telling you that also, which puts her four pound clear of her nearest rival, which is L.A. Bell, who is a mare I adore also. But Eileen Dover, now unbeaten three, uh, from a three career starts. And even when she won at 28 to one on debut, and she bolted up then in that one mile, five and a half furlong junior bumper. And then it, she did prove that that wasn't, that win wasn't too good to be true when hosing up again with just far, far too much pace for her rivals over one mile four in a Phillies junior bumper at Weatherby. But last time out was just a whole other Kessel official together at Market Raisin in that listed mare's bumper That where there were many that were concerned that the ground may blunt her speed and then she was to contend with two miles for the first time and up against some useful-looking types too, including obviously the Willie Mullins representative and obviously the yard has saddled the winner of the race the previous year. And that's obviously being grangy in this year's race. But my word, I leaned over. She just did the same thing again to them all and showed such an electric turn of foot in that heavy ground as well. And you really did think to yourself, wow, she is something special. And I think if she had lined up in the champion bumper with her weight allowance, she would have been bang there in the finish with Sir Gerhard and Kilcrit. And the only reason I think she may not have won the champion bumper had she contested it, was the fact that Rachel Blackmore gave Sir Gerhard such a good front-running ride, which oh. brought Kilcrit out, who I think was the best horse in the race, Kilcrit. Um, and I think that's what brought him out. And I think that Eileen Dover, I mean, she has been ridden, held up, or at least with some cover in her three starts so far. So that might just have cost her a champion bumper win with how things played out. But she would have been vying for the win at, at the line, I'm sure with LA Bell about the right distance back in third but obviously that's all hypothetical and just trying to put it into some sort of perspective but anyway didn't happen and uh, didn't happen because Pam Sly said that she believes that Cheltenham can bottom a horse and she didn't want that for Eileen Dover and had always cited this as her most likely next target and fair play to her for being brave enough to do that but just by the subsequent form from her market raising route it has to make her a very difficult horse to beat here really excited to see her again not really a fan of the price from a betting perspective, but for win purposes, certainly so. And yeah, LA Bell, I, I mean, it, it was clear how well she ran on in the finish in the champion bumper. She was just, you know, held up in rear. And given how well Rachel Blackmore rode to Gerhard on the front end, that was never going to play to her favour. And she showed a cracking attitude up the hill to run on in the style that she did. So she is a such, such a likeable mare. 
But yeah, I just don't see her quite having the turn of foot that Eileen Dove is going to have. But certainly, I mean, the market will tell you that she'll be the one to follow her home in second. I just wonder if the 22-day turnaround after a hard race, because to go and try and chase Sir Gerhard off the pace that Rachel was setting, um, and, and Rachel rode them to sleep that day, but she then, the way she quickened up off the final turn, everybody had to go, oh shit, and really go for it. Um, I just wonder if that's going to affect a label on the day. And um, I will play the exacta with Eileen Dover. Eileen Dover wins. And uh, well done, Pam Sly. It's great to see Pam Sly back in the big time. Congratulations to her for saying, screw everybody. I am keeping this horse. I don't care what money you offer. I love that. I absolutely love it. Hopefully, JP will come in with two million and she'll go, thanks very much. I played you for a fool. Ha ha ha. It is worth remembering that the glancing queen finished fifth to Envoy Allen and the champion bumper before winning this race two years ago. So True. it's possible to do it after such a turnaround. But and in terms of Pam Sly's uh, race plan and race target, and whatever you want to call it, um, I think the decision, I think it was the right decision as well to avoid champion bump with a four-year-old personally but I think it was also to do with the fact that she is going on the flat so I think yeah. she was let down for a little bit after they win at market raising so she could have a month or so's break before being back brought back into training so I expect whatever happens tomorrow she will be almost ready in a few weeks to go and run on a maiden on the flat or a novice on the flat she'll go straight rather than having to have a break now after after their spring target whereas she would have been kept on the go from market raising if she was targeted at Sheldon how fascinating is it going to be to see Arlene Dover at Royal Ascot? Let's, let's just keep that in mind for later in the season, shall we? But anyway, let's enjoy her on Thursday. I think she wins. But Me Too Please is the horse that I'll play for the Exacta. And I'll back Me Too Please each way. Rachel Blackmore, Arthur Moore. Arthur Moore was quoted as saying, I think she's good, she's good enough to win uh, Maiden on the Flat, and that's what we're going to do. He also said that her next race will be at Punchestown. But it's not. It's at Aintree. So Arthur Moore with a bumper horse. In the UK, are they quite mad? No, in all seriousness, I think I will be playing the Exacta and uh, Eileen Dover wins, basically. Uh, that's it. That is day one. Done and dusted. Kate and Paul are back to preview day two with me a little bit later on. So that podcast will be available on whatever platform you're listening on right now, whatever podcast app you're using. If you want to support the Final Furlong podcast, which is free, and you're getting the free insights of Paul Ferguson and Kate Tracy, well, all we'll ask you to do is subscribe in your podcast app, like and share on social media the content. It's much appreciated. And thank you so, so much for all the kind words as well. They really do mean a lot on social media um it's much appreciated we are back with our day two preview of entry and rory and andrew blair white will be here to crack the grand national for day three on thursday as well so all of that to come on the final forum podcast from kate paul and me we'll see you soon god bless the Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Try Tote today and get a risk-free bet on the pools.